Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen concludes a vision series for our ministry year called Something to Say. Our fifth ask at Northwest Hills is to make Jesus known. God brings justice against anyone who disobeys him. And the truth is that there's a problem. Death is coming to everyone because everyone has disobeyed God. However, God provided a solution by sending his son Jesus to the cross, and he extends his mercy to anyone who understands and embraces the cross. So our job is to share that truth, that God is both just and merciful with others. Also, as part of the Something to Say series, we'll start the message off with someone's testimony. We hope you find it encouraging. Now, Here's today's message. I'm Jack Lubrock, and my wife Mel and I have been going to Northwest Hills, or coming to Northwest Hills, for 42 years. I'm 67 years old, and uh, there have been a lot of changes in my life. One of the ways that, that I definitely can say Jesus changed my life was uh, when nine months after my wife and I had gotten married, uh, we were living in Eugene and I was attending architecture school. And at the same time, I was praying and asking God whether or not uh, vocational ministry was what he would have me do. And so uh, as I returned to architecture school and uh, got about halfway through the term, it was just like God sucked all of the desire and all of the capacity to design and uh, enjoy uh, designing buildings and landscapes and all the rest. Um, And instead, uh, I recognized that, eventually I recognized that the reason that that was gone was because he was answering my prayer. The answer was that he wanted me to to spend my life vocation, my my hours of the day, pursuing, uh, sharing Jesus and working with youth specifically. And uh, and then came the scary part. I went and talked to my college pastor, and about halfway through that conversation, when Mike said, so what does Mel think about all this? And, and he could read my face, and he said, go talk to Mel and share your heart with her and what's going on. I left Mike's office looking forward to telling Mel And at the same time, I definitely took my time walking back from the church to our apartment because I wasn't quite sure how to put it, how to say it. Um, We'd only been married nine months, and even though we'd known each other a long time, I just wasn't sure what her response would be, and that was scary. Um, So I arrived back at the apartment, and it's only two hours into what would have been a four-hour class that I should have been in. And she said, what are you doing here? (laughs) And my response was, well, I just got done talking with Mike, and uh, I shared with him that I've been praying about going into ministry or God's, really God's call on my life to pursue vocational ministry, and specifically being a youth pastor. And... She paused and looked at me, and then she said, Well, I will never say no to 
what God would be leading you to do. And I will never say no to you and if you're following Jesus. And that was a major hurdle for me and a blessing. Um, at first it was like, how do I console her? And instead it became a conversation about the excitement of what laid ahead. If you will pursue God in prayer to build a relationship and a stronger relationship with Him, then when the different change or the, the new change comes, or the unexpected comes, you don't have to approach things uh, from a perspective of, oh no, what am I going to do now? Go to God and ask. When the big things, the quote-unquote big things, come, you already know that God will come through with the answers. Yes, thank you, Jack. Uh, Jack's with us this morning. Man, love, I love you, brother. Uh, Jack's a good friend. He's been here uh, on staff with us for a long time. He was our high school, middle school uh, youth guy for a season, uh, got in a boating accident uh, with the youth group, put him in the chair, and he's been here as a volunteer staff pastor for 40 years-ish. So yeah, your faithfulness to the Lord is, is seen. Uh, Mel, love you. You're awesome. Thank you for your story, Jack. Um, good morning. My name is Josh. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, I'm going to do my best to share a story with you. Uh, a story of who God is uh, and why it's a story worth sharing. Uh, we're going to see two different parts of who God is today, two parts that when we look at it in some ways feel rather contradictory, uh, but in other ways are exactly how we would want it to be. Uh, in order to do that, I'm going to just jump right in. I'm going to jump into a section of Scripture that for some will be super familiar. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm going to play a little game. I want you to guess where you think it's coming from. Uh, you're welcome for that. We can have some guessing games in church. Eventually, in about two minutes, I will tell you where it's from, and that's all right. So uh, here we go. This is, I'll give you a clue. It's from the Old Testament. You are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. If you were with us last year, you, you heard those words a lot. There's a lot of places where that could come from, right? You go to the beginning where that was first introduced to us, and that was in Exodus chapter 34, when uh, Moses and God are having a bit of a wrestling match, and Moses is trying to figure out, God, can I trust you? Can I do life without you? And God's like, absolutely not. And Moses is like, I need you. And God says, hey, here's who I am. Here's the very core of my nature. This is me. And we see those words repeated over and over. So it could have come from Numbers 14, could have come uh, from the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 86. It could have come from the book of Joel. There are many, many places in the Bible that repeat this phrase over and over and over. And it's a phrase, if we're honest, that we really like because we want God to be like that. Right? I, I want a God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who is gracious, who is merciful, because Lord knows I need it, right? Like we all like that, we celebrate it until we don't like it. And there's one section in the Old Testament, there is one person who says these words, and he says, I don't like these words. I don't want this to be you, God. I, I don't like the fact that you are slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. There's one person who doesn't like these words. Listen to what this person says next after what I just read. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and resenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. Right? For you long-timers, who is that? It's Jonah. Right? I, I will probably at least once or twice say Noah this morning just because I interspersed uh, those two names all the time. But it's Jonah. Jonah's in a weird spot. Um, for those of you who are hearing this for the first time, here's Jonah. And, and God says something to Jonah. He says, hey, Jonah... Um, uh, this is who I am, and Jonah doesn't like it. And I'm just going to be honest, there are seasons in my life where I don't like it either. Um, this last week, in God's goodness and kindness and sovereignty, um, he is working through this text and through what I'm seeing in the world too, because I did not plan this text last week. This was planned weeks before, where this last week, when I'm watching videos and I'm seeing women get taken from their families, and I'm seeing kids getting shot down at music festivals, and I'm seeing children be taken as hostages, there's no part of me that wants God's mercy. I'm just being honest. I want justice. I want full-on, like, God rain down justice. And I feel like I've got a heart a bit like Jonah at times, where God's like, no, no. I don't want mercy, I want justice. But God has something to say about justice. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see God's justice here, but we're also going to see God's mercy here. And we're going to see that God has a heart for all people, and ultimately all people need forgiveness, and ultimately all people will experience justice either through the right separation of God forever and eternity or through the imputed life and death of Jesus. And that will happen to every person. And so as we look at the story of Jonah today, and it's going to be a bit abbreviated, and that's fine. We're going through this story and in one day. We're going to see a God who says, no, I have a huge heart for justice and I will make things right. And I have a huge heart of mercy and compassion. And so let's open up this story in order to see both the mercy of God and the compassion of God. And, and ultimately, this sermon is about evangelism. It's about telling the world who God is, because this is our fifth and final phrase of our uh, vision statement, to make Jesus known. And, and we have a call to make a God known who is both merciful and just. Um, and, and here's the thing. If you are a longtime believer, you know that this is right and good. Uh, if you are exploring Christian faith for the first time, I would say this. Deep down, you want to believe in a God who is both merciful and just, right? Like that's the world you really want. And I'm going to explain why you want that in a bit and why ultimately God is what our hearts long for. So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read the first verse of Jonah. We're going to read the last verse of Jonah. And we're going to see God who's got a lot of mercy and a lot of justice. Here we go, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, so clear statement. 
Uh, we're going to talk about this in a second, but there is a people who are acting evil and God says, call out against it. This is a major problem. And then about this same people, listen to what he says at the very end of the chapter, the very last book or the very last verse, chapter four, verse 11, he says, and should I not pity Nineveh? This is God's heart. That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. Let's start out with talking about God's justice. Um, because God makes it very clear. He, he says to Jonah, his prophet, he says, I want you to go to the city and I want you to call out against it because this city is actively living in evil. They are doing things morally uh, irrehensible and I have a problem with this and I want to do something about this, right? We see in chapter three, verse eight, a description of these people. And he says, they were walking in evil ways and they were marked with violence in their hands. And as Jonah goes to the city, eventually he preaches a message that sounds like this, in 40 days, God's burning this city to the ground. And Jonah doesn't want to give that message. He doesn't want to give that message because he knows that God is a God of justice, but he also knows that God is a God of mercy. And he knows that if this people repent, it's a strong possibility that God will relent. And he doesn't want that. And so if you know the story, you know that Jonah runs away. And before we're quick to cast judgment on Jonah, we got to understand that this is a people group that is at war and at odds with Jonah's people, right? And this is a people group that for uh, centuries have been at odds with God's people, with the people of Jonah. You think about uh, going back uh, 50 years, there's a description of this relationship and against the tension that's happening amongst this city of Nineveh, which is ultimately the capital of Assyria, uh, the sworn enemies of Israel and Israel's people. Listen to these words in 2 Kings chapter 8, a description about what will happen, and this did happen before Jonah went to Nineveh. Why does my Lord weep? He answered, this is Elijah, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. This is talking about Assyria towards Israel. You will set their fortresses on fire and you will kill their young men with the sword and you will dash in pieces their little children and you will rip open their pregnant women. Again, this is the heart of Assyria towards the people of Israel, the people that Jonah's from. And he goes, I don't want God to repent or to relent. I want full justice on this city. And for a few decades, this is what happened to the people of Israel at the hands of Assyria. But then there becomes a bit of a shift uh, in the political landscape and in the power dynamics of what's going on in this region. Jeroboam II becomes king, and uh, this king doesn't love the Lord. He's not a follower of God. He's not a worshiper of Yahweh. But in God's mercy uh, to the nation of Israel, God does something through this uh, this time period. And we read about this in 2 Kings 14, about this tension, about what God does even through an evil king of Israel. This is through Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the son of Joash. This is Second Kings fourteen twenty three. King of Israel began to reign in Samaria. Samaria is just another name for the northern kingdom of Israel, and he reigned forty one years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, which he was made in Israel to sin. But then God does something. Verse twenty five. He restores the border of Israel 
From Lebo Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amatai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter. So he saw, this is what Assyria was doing to you. Um, you are being overtaken. We read this, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was no one to help Israel. So Israel's in a world of trouble and a lot of pain. But listen, this is God's heart, verse 27. But the Lord has not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. So at this period, this, this nation of Israel, where Jonah comes from, is, is actually getting a lot of their land back. Uh, they're making a lot of progress as far as rebuilding the culture, as far as rebuilding their territory. And for the first time in a few decades, their primary superpower that they've been against, the Assyrians, are at bay right now. And now God wants him to go to his enemies. And he wants them to repent from their evil. And Jonah wants nothing to do with it. If you know the story, Jonah runs away. Uh, he says, no, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'd rather... Um, completely disobey you. And so he runs. Uh, he runs on a ship, and, and you know kind of the childhood version of this, some of you. And on the ship, God brings a big storm, some hurricane of sorts. And uh, while they're in the middle of the storm, all the sailors are wondering, where is all this trouble coming from? And uh, ultimately, Jonah raises his hand and he says, okay, here's the deal. I'm running from God. Uh, God has told me to do something. I am refusing to do what he's told me to do because I don't like the mercy of God. I only want his judgment and his justice. Throw me in overboard and this will all stop. All right, I've said this in seasons past. This is not Jonah confessing. It's not Jonah repenting. From everything that we can tell, this is Jonah committing suicide. He's saying, okay, I'd still you rather not save this people. I'm not going to turn around. I'm going to throw my life into the ocean. And in that moment, God shows him a two-part act of mercy. Right, he shows him an act of mercy in saving him. Right? You might remember the story of the whale or the fish. A uh, cute part of the story, great part, not a central part, but it happened. The other part of mercy that Jonah begins to recognize is, okay, Lord, you saved me, you had mercy on me, and you have mercy on the people that I hate. And so I will be obedient, and I will go. And so Jonah goes, and he goes to the city of Nineveh, a city of about 120,000 people, and he preaches and people repent. Listen to this in chapter 3, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh as he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. As he issued a proclamation and published throughout all of Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God, right? The God of Israel to Yahweh. Let everyone turn from his evil way. The king recognizes this. He recognizes that they're living in sin. Let them turn from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, maybe God will relent of his disaster and his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And here's the kicker that Jonah did not love. Verse 10, and when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
And how does Jonah respond? Right? You, you'd like to believe that at this point, Jonah's like, praise God. Like we were enemies, now we are brothers. Uh, they were in the hands of God's justice, and now they are in the hands of God's mercy. You'd like to believe that that would be his heart. But his heart's probably a whole lot more like mine than I want to admit. He's furious. He's devastated. Jonah's like, I didn't want these people to repent. I wanted to be faithful in telling them that this would happen. And then I wanted to see the fire of hell rain down with the force of God. And I wanted this city to be obliterated. And he walks outside the city and in disgust and in despair, he looks back at the city. He's like, all right, God, what are you going to do? And what does God do? He meets him out there. Uh, He meets him in a beautiful, profound, personal way. And he has these words for Jonah. He has a rhetorical question. And he says, do you do right to be angry? Do you do right to be angry? He goes on and he says, and should I not pity Nineveh? These are the last words. That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. It's an interesting phrase. Um, clearly, he's, he's talking about his heart of compassion. He's talking about his heart of mercy. Uh, I think there's a lot of grace in here. He uses the phrase pity, and uh, I think it's something worth drilling down. I spent a lot more time on this first hour. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now. But this whole idea of what's God talking about when he says there's 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand. Is God saying that this is a group of people who are morally inculpable, uh, therefore they shouldn't be punished for what they are doing? Like ultimately, if that were true, God wouldn't have sent someone to tell them to repent because they would be innocent. But God knows that they're not innocent because none of us are innocent because in our evil, in their own volition and will, they were doing things that were wrong. And when we do things that are wrong, justice has to be served. We all want that world unilaterally. And so therefore, it must be true that when God is saying this to Jonah, when he's talking about an adult human who doesn't know their right hand from their left hand, ultimately what he's saying, and I'm just going to jump to the conclusion, is he is saying this, don't they deserve someone going to them telling them, if you live in such a way, this is the result of your life? That's the mercy of God. The mercy of God is in clearly communicating that if we do not love and obey him, that ultimately there will be a price to pay. And this is what Jonah does. He's ultimately faithful to this, and this is what God does. He is faithful to himself, and he gives them mercy. But unfortunately, the story doesn't end there, at least for the people of Nineveh. Um, If you were to fast forward another 50 years, uh, the story continues and you get to the next couple generations and uh, you have to turn your Bible two more books to the right, if you will, and you got to get to the book of Nahum where God says, yes, I am a God of justice and I am a God of mercy, but ultimately um, here's who I am. And we're going to read this in Nahum chapter 1. In Oracle Concerning Nineveh, this is the city, this is 50 years removed. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Listen to this, because it's so close to what he says in Jonah. 
but he, he finishes it with something a little different. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. And here's the ultimate invitation that we have to share. You're, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're wondering, like, I thought this was about evangelism. Aren't we supposed to just have like happy, like Jesus loves you stories? The story that we're invited to share is the story that happens between Jonah and Nahum. And it's this, that every single human being will get God's justice. And we will get it in one of two ways. We will either get it by rightfully being the recipients of eternal separation from God forever, or we will get it through the imputed righteousness of Jesus dying on the cross for you and I. And the mercy of God is in sending his son to giving us the option. Are you going to choose to, in your obedience, say thank you, God, for your mercy, Or are we going to choose in our anger and self-righteousness to say, God, thanks, but I'm going to keep living my own life. And God reminds the people, when you live your own life, when you rebel against me, which is what happened to them 50 years later, God says, hey, there is a price that needs to be paid. Ultimately, the entire story of the Bible is a story of God having a heart for mankind. Right, a heart that we talked about a, a couple weeks ago where we said uh, the truth of the matter is that you and I are far more awful than we could ever imagine. Right? Some of us clearly know this, we know ourselves, but we also said that God loves us far more than we could ever believe. And the heart of God is to share this to the world, and he shares it from the very beginning in Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end of the book of Revelation where God is constantly saying, I'm going to the world, I'm going to the people that I love, and I'm going to the people that I hate, and I am saying, this is what happens when you follow me, and this is what happens when you reject me. And he invites us to be a people who join him in sharing that story. In sharing that story, we are a church who is committed to making Jesus known. Uh, In order to do that, we're a lot of people here who have different stories, who have different backgrounds, who ultimately all have something to say. We we talked about uh, the fact that we all have a testimony, right? Like Jack shared his story. God changed my life, and therefore this is what obedience looked like for me. That looks different than Wendy's. It looks different than uh, all of our lives. We all have something to say, but it starts with an understanding of a couple different things. Uh, And I'm going to finish this plane in just three quick things. It starts first by understanding that there is a problem, right? That there is a massive problem. We will never share our faith if we don't first understand that death is coming to everyone, right? Ultimately, our lives all end in death. And unless we understand who Jesus is, they will end in eternal separation from God. And so starting to share our faith begins with understanding that death is coming to everyone. I think it's a a really important way for us to think about life. And I think oftentimes we put death way out there and and we're slow to share our faith because we don't think that we're going to die. Right? This this last week, um, on Wednesday, I I write from home and I'm writing, I'm obviously studying the book of Jonah and I'm studying this whole um, concept of evangelism and how we're sharing our faith. And I get a text message from a friend of mine's mom. Uh, This is a friend of mine who I grew up with uh, he, he, he was two houses down from me. We were super close friends in elementary school and junior high and kind of uh, parted ways in high school, kind of took two different tracks in life. And um, I reconnected with him at my 20-year reunion this last uh, summer. And uh, my friend is in a world of physical pain. Uh, he, 
He is not able to do life without medical assistance constantly. And his mom texted me Wednesday as I was at home studying, and she says, hey, um, Cole has taken a turn for the worst the last couple weeks. He's been in the hospital. Uh, he recently got transferred down to San Francisco. Um, but while in, at home, uh, one of the nurses prayed with him, and I think he accepted the Lord. And she said, hey, would you just follow up with him? Would you just connect with him? And so um, I'm, not, I'm not like the super evangelist guy who's just like out meeting everyone like, you need to repent today because you're going to die. Um, but I just had like, I had nothing to lose in this moment. And I was like, I just got to be straightforward and I just got to say it like it is. And so I sent him a message and I said, hey, Cole, here, man, I, I love you, brother. Um, here's the deal. I want you to know Jesus's unbelievable love for you. Um, I want you to know that because I want eternity with you. And in, in those moments, like we can be bold and honest. And here's, here's why it pushed me there. Because I knew like perhaps he doesn't have long. Uh, but most of the time, like that conversation feels a little intimidating because we think like, well, they got a long time. Who knows? God will do something eventually. To share the faith and love that we have in Jesus takes an understanding that ultimately we will all die. It may be tomorrow. It may be in a long time. I, j- I just went in between services and wished a happy birthday to someone in our senior class who's turning 103 two days ago. It's probably not going to be the case for most of us. Number two, um, understanding the solution to the problem. There's only one solution to the problem of death and sin. Uh, and that is that Jesus did what we couldn't, right? Ultimately, we all live in a world where we know that there's a lot of problems going on, right? No one believes that we don't have problems. We all have them. Uh, no one believes that, that evil shouldn't be punished, right? We just disagree on how there's a solution to all this problem, and I would challenge you, if you're not a believer, do your homework and figure out, like, what do we do with the problem of evil? What do we do with the problem of injustice in the world? Because if God doesn't exist, you just have to throw up your hands and say, well, it's all relative anyways. And kidnapping young children, that's not morally irrehensible. It just, it just is what it is. But if God exists, there is a problem and there is a solution. And that solution is laced in both grace and judgment. Lastly, I'll land the plane with this. We need to learn from Jonah. Because Jonah's a beautiful story, and it's a story that in some ways doesn't end well, right? You read the story of Jonah, and you read a four-chapter story, and you go, man, it ends with a question, and it doesn't end great. But I'm here to tell you, the story of Jonah does not end at the end of chapter four, right? Because who writes the story of Jonah? Jonah writes it. Right? So the, I'm telling, there is no way that Jonah's just like, God, I hate you. I'm horrible. Here's my story, the end. Right? Here's Jonah's story is, man, um, God, I was adamantly opposed to your mercy. And I was frustrated and I was angry. And in your mercy, you save. And eventually I came to realize that. And eventually I wrote it down and people for generations can read how you worked in my life, even a broken sinner's life, to see your mercy come true even when I'm not merciful myself. And I think all of us, 
I think all of us have a four-chapter story in us somewhere. Right? We got a story that says at some point I was not doing the thing that I ought to be doing, and God said, hey, no, I'm a God of justice, but I'm a God of mercy, and I'm a God of mercy in your life. And we have something to share about that. We have a story, which is why every week we're going to get a different story up there. And I would just encourage you as we close this up that God is a God who is for what is good. And he will do whatever it takes to bring about good. Whether that is sacrificially giving himself to through mercy and pity and grace. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He's saying, I'm paying for that. And ultimately we see a God who is worth telling a story about, who is worth saying something about. Would you pray with me? Father God, I I thank you for this season that quite frankly, I can be like Jonah and I can look around the world and I can say, man, I I don't like what I see. And and I, in some ways, I am frustrated and saddened even by what you allow to happen, God. But then I also know your heart and I know it crushes you. God, and I know your heart of mercy and kindness for all to understand what is good and what is right. And Lord, in order to do this, you call a bunch of Jonas to the world. God, and, and we are all profess faith in you. We are all Jonas. God, I pray that we would have something to say to a world that even if we're frustrated by it, we can see how you move and work and how you are God of unbelievable kindness in the midst of unbelievable evil. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.